Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Press X to honk. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. A steaming ball of pork consomme. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week we have our number 61s. But before we do that, I uh, I think it's time to start thinking about the impending festive season fast approaching at the end of this year. I thought it might be nice to arrange a bit of an outing to celebrate the most wonderful miracle of the birth of Christ, this most holy of holiday. So we could all go to the Aladdin pantomime at the Churchill Theatre in Bromley, <laughs> featuring, as always, the effervescent talents of Christopher Biggins. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to look up uh, where he was performing this year? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the score is currently 18 all. Still keeping it neck and neck. Oh, I'm ready this time. I'm ready. What... Could Sonic the Hedgehog not do in the video games that real hedgehogs can due to mistaken information about the mammal by the game developers? Is it A, fly, B, swim, C, make friends, Uh, D, run faster than the speed of sound? I think it's B. Oh, I mean, you're both right. And it's very close, but I think the point has to go to Chris. Wow. <laughs> ah, you've pulled ahead. 1918. There we go. Oh. Well done. So, what have we been playing this week? Goosey Lucy. How is your goose, Chris? Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've really loved it. I finished it this morning, or, or finished in as much as I've reached the credits kind of thing. There is kind of some, some post-game stuff. But it's a really, really nice adventure game, I suppose you'd call it. Like a loose stealth adventure game. It follows on, like, when you were talking about, um, like, Machinarium last week and point-and-click games. Yeah. I think the the core of that is in Untitled Goose Game. I agree. In that you're essentially solving puzzles. You've got direct, obviously, control over your goose, which is where a lot of the kind of, like, physical comedy comes from. But in essence, you are solving puzzles in a very similar way. You're, you're managing items. You're, you're kind of working out, you know, how to manipulate people and, and objects and things within a scene. And it's just, it's a really nice time. And I think it's a perfect length as well. When I, when I reached the end, I didn't feel like, oh, I wish there was another 50 hours of this. It, it kind of felt like just enough so the, the joke didn't run thin. Uh, it's been really good fun. It's, it's very silly. I haven't quite finished it yet. I'm stuck on the end of the pub. Yeah. I know what I need to do, but I, I, I just need to do it. I just need to do it. There's a few bits where it's kind of the execution is can be a challenge. I think the, the execution can be a challenge. Yeah, I did. I did find kind of those that the big kind of assembly tasks were yeah. a bit annoying because obviously somebody could just come and grab your stuff and take it back. And it's like, oh. <laughs> I just wanted a series of horrible things to do as the goose. I yeah. did enjoy the bit in the garden where you have to trick the woman into cutting her neighbor's prize rose off. That was great fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that treat. very much. I completed Link's Awakening. Oh. 100%, which was really good fun. I'm going to keep hold of it and hopefully play through it again on hero mode at some point. And now I'm trying to decide whether or not to play through Blasphemous mm. properly after starting it the other week or dive straight into Nino Kuni. I don't know. I don't know. Minty, what have you been playing this week? I have been going on a quest. A dragon quest? Let me finish. <laughs> a dragon (laughs) it is good at the moment the kind of 
typical JRPG world-ending threat has not surfaced just yet. Ah. So at the moment, I am being groomed to care about my character by finding out the mysteries of his past. Hmm. So I guess when it comes to fighting, what I assume will be a big monster at the end. Yeah. Man or beast. Maybe both. Maybe both. Beast or ban. Yes, yes. I have just got to the town where the casino is. So Danger, danger, mate. Yes. My coffers will rapidly deplete and my playtime will go up with no real meaningful progress for, I predict, 40 months. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what else I've been playing this week. I've been having... A surprisingly huge amount of fun with Mario Kart Tour on my iPhone. Ooh, Ooh. controversial. I think they have done a quite incredible job of bringing the feel of Mario Kart to a touchscreen mobile device. It's, it's, uh, it's great. There's a lot of automatic stuff in there in terms of automatic acceleration. It's very, very difficult to fall off the edge of a stage or even actually just off the main the main track, but you can, you can do it and it will slow you down if you go into the sides. So all you need to do is focus on drift turning and getting items and weapons and blah 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 so it's it's quite streamlined in in that sense and you only do two laps per course as opposed to three and it's the perfect amount of time to sort of pick up and play and just just jump in for a quick quick go nice sort of progression system and light rpg elements in terms of leveling up your carts and your your drivers and stuff and so far i haven't spent any money and i haven't felt the need to Oh, good. Um, so I'm not too sure what the catch is, because <laughs> it is free. It I is. mean, you can spend money and uh, to, to sort of speed up unlocking drivers and more carts and, and things like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm still winning and getting five stars with the, the things that I've got already. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep having a really good time. And it's, um, yeah, really enjoying it. So there, I don't care what anyone else is saying. <laughs> I don't know what other people are saying, but I don't care. Unless they're saying they like it, in which case you're my friend. <laughs> as, as you go along, it'd be interesting to see just how you get on. Because sometimes we, we mention mobile games like this, and then obviously we might carry on playing or we might stop or whatever. But I, I think for something like this that's kind of like quite a big marquee release for, for Nintendo or mobile, it'd be interesting to see at what point you either stop or at what point you feel like you need to put in money or, or whatever. Because um, that's not always that apparent, I don't think, when you first install these things. Hmm. And I would trust your opinion. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. So enough with this procrastination. Shall we move on to the podcastination? Let's move on to the rankings. Starting this week, we have Chris. Can you please tell us about your 61st favourite video game? I find open world games quite stressful these days to play. And I think when I was younger, the thought of kind of a game that had a huge checklist of objectives and sort of like a map that was spread out like a canvas of mission markers made me feel really excited. Because when you're young, it sort of feels like that's value for money. And I remember games like, say, GTA Vice City and stuff like that. When I was playing that alongside other people at school, it meant you were exchanging stories. It meant you were, you were talking about these things for months or months at a time, essentially, as everyone played it alongside one another. But as an adult, I find the scale of content on offer in something like Grand Theft Auto or Assassin's Creed or, or anything like these big AAA releases quite stressful because with the time afforded to me as like a person who is a professional, I guess, in his 30s, I just can't commit to really making much of a dent in these games because it means then missing out on everything else that might might come out in a six-month period. I relate. Yeah, it's that kind of fear of missing out that really stresses me out because games don't really feel conquerable anymore. 
And I think it's nice that we've just talked about Untitled Goose Game. That all in, if you want to really hit it 100%, is probably five, six hours. If you just want to see the credits, it's three or four. And, and that kind of amount is just enough for me to say, oh, I enjoyed that. That was a good experience. I've seen it all. And now I can move on to something else. And you can't do that with these massive games if, if you have other life commitments, essentially. But what I still really like about this type of game is the space and scale of their worlds themselves. So I think that's a big reason that when I talked about like Xenoblade Chronicles X about a thousand years ago, I went on about the feel of the place and the feel of like traversal and exploration and just moving about far more than I did about the game's story or structure or, or any of the real mechanics really outside of just the place it was. And I think that's why I also love games like Proteus because it's kind of like small scale, open-ended walking exploration or like the freeform approach of something like Terraria when I mentioned that as well, just kind of moving around an area, exploring what was there and kind of just getting a feel for the place you were. Now, my 61st favorite video game of all time is technically an open world game as well, but one that I think would rarely, if ever, be spoken about alongside kind of the titans of the genre like the aforementioned kind of GTA or Assassin's Creed because it is the reasonably niche PC exclusive Euro Truck Simulator 2. Oh, well. <laughs> I think simulation games existed for a long time as like the butt of a joke. And it was kind of, you know, like mainstream, and I'm doing big inverted commas here, or hardcore and even bigger inverted commas, gamers, sort of saw something like Farming Simulator as like an early breakthrough title and just laughed until they basically like dribbled energy drink down their chins. It's kind of until these games started dominating sales charts, first on the PC and now on consoles, like you see them on shelves all the time. No one realized there was actually such a big market for what was assumed to be like a niche interest game. And early on, like when these started to appear and I started hearing about these things, it never really seemed like my cup of tea until I saw a video of someone playing Euro Truck back then with VR support at the time. So this was years and years back. But the guy in the video is sort of like driving along, checking his mirrors as he passes someone on the motorway, putting his hazards on as he's cutting across in the correct lane of a toll booth, carefully reversing his sort of cargo into the depot at the end of a trip. And even though things like PlayStation VR was still years out, my PC would never have run something like that. There was something about the deliberateness of him making that trip that I felt really drawn in by. It was a, it was a very considered game to play, it felt like. And Euro Truck Simulator 2, and I, I can't speak to the quality of the previous games, I never played it, or indeed its follow-up, I think it's called American Truck Simulator. They are open-ended, open-world driving games that just have you ferrying items cross-country over like a downsized version of Europe. The map is huge, and that's what kind of brings it back to what I said earlier. But in order to make it a bit more manageable, all kind of key towns and cities are present, but the adjoining roads between them are sort of truncated, so the distances are not as, as vast as it would be in real life. The basic structure of the game, you, you choose a job from sort of an infinitely populating list. How many of the jobs are truck driver? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, jobs in as much as I mean, uh, you know, you might be transporting logs from a place to another, but all of them, Minty, do involve driving or piloting your, your truck. As you complete the trip, you've, you can sort of stream in music from real world radio stations into your kind of accurately modeled truck cab, get to your destination and then just do it all again. And what I really love about it is it becomes a game about just the journey between places. And I, I really love that sense of kind of the bits in between your start and finish. That's what I mean about open world games and their sense of place that I think do, they do it better than almost any other genre. It's not always about the mission itself, but it's about just the traversal between places. And thinking about it, like this is sort of a, a long, long-winded story, but it's the idea that you're sitting, you might be transporting, say, a trailer load of dried milk between Liège and Dover. 
So you've got quite a trip to make. It's nighttime, it's raining, you've got your windscreen wipers on, and you might be listening to, say, ACDC coming through, like a Finnish rock station, because that's one that you found on the list. And as kind of the street lamps are fading into your rearview mirrors and little cars sort of pootle past on, you know, you're, you're in a speed-capped lorry, so things are overtaking you. It always made me think about kind of just driving along roads that inspired that sort of simulation because we've all been either drivers on long distance journeys or or kind of passengers and things when we might be doing jobs we might be doing work we might be seeing friends or whatever it might be and it, it made me think about all sorts of things like from from my life like when I'm thinking back to say traveling back from university when I had all my stuff kind of like crammed inside a, a rental transit van taking my entire material life from from Devon back to to the southeast and in that time, turning off the lights of the van just so we could see the, the self-illuminating cat's eyes on the road so it felt like you were driving through space. <laughs> it's like it's, it's little, bit, little bits of journey like that. Or remembering back when I, I used to tour with bands more than I have done for years now, but screeching through like a red light in the middle of Belgium in the middle of the night in a really cramped car <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> filled with uh, like amps and cabinets and guitars and drum hardware to try and make it back for a 3am ferry back to, back to the UK. Also, it's other things that like I remember when uh, I first bought Rock Band, my, my first set of plastic instruments. You needed a truck to get it all home, yeah. <laughs> but I remember finding a, a set of the, the instruments on eBay that was a guy, a guy was selling up in Romford and it was a really cheap deal because it had to be collected. And I said to my brother Tom, it's like, do you want to do you want to drive me to Romford tonight? And we, we left the house. <laughs> we left the house at like 9.30, drove through the night, got there at like 11 or something and then cruised all the way back. And it's all these things. It's like... it having these journeys makes you think about just the trip in between like the the distance and and kind of the conversation you might have as you go and sitting back like again going back to euro truck but behind a virtual steering wheel i found a real appreciation for like the meandering downtime of of motorways in the open road and although most open world games you're not cruising on real life motorways it's it's the bits of open world games i enjoy the most like that that travel in between places because in all those stories I just told, like returning home after uni or getting the ferry back from Europe or, or picking up the plastic instruments, they only existed in the same way that you have these miniaturized cities in, in Eurotruck Simulator as sort of the punctuation at the start and finish of a journey. And, and what I really like about this, and it's, it's a game that I want to go back to at some stage, is it's a game that should feel really cold and detached because it's a boring simulation game. It's like, is the truck modelled well? Does does the truck look realistic? Mm. It should be a really robotic, boring thing. Like it's it's a fucking <laughs> truck driving simulator. Like there shouldn't be anything exciting about that. But as as I was cruising along, I'd find myself say like dimming my brights so I'm not annoying the French drivers on the opposite side of the road, <laughs> or or kind of like you know being really careful as I, I was overtaking because I, I didn't want to scratch the car in front, but I also didn't want to scratch my cargo. <laughs> and it, I can't really think of many other single player experiences that I felt as connected to these nobody characters outside of maybe something like Animal Crossing. And that, that's a really weird comparison to make, like between Animal Crossing and Euro Truck Simulator. But there's something about the way you experience kind of moving around and the way you kind of place yourself in the world that becomes very, very immersive. And it's a game that I think has much more value than its title could ever suggest. And it's one that I, I would honestly recommend to anyone interested in like expanding their gaming horizons. Because it's not something that I would have ever said, well, I'm, I'm banging to simulators. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm well into my, my firefighting sims and, and my train driving simulators or whatever. It's not something I thought I'd be that into. But this game in particular, like all this stuff probably sounds really hyperbolic, but even like driving along and entering somewhere as outwardly drab as like Peterborough, it will pop up on the map to say mm -hmm. you're, you're driving <laughs> into Peterborough and the virtual sun is rising in the background and you've got something stupid like Magic FM playing in the background, just feel good, inoffensive pop music. 
And that whole feeling of just, you know, arriving at a place and having the world kind of like live around you, it's, it's a game that I think is almost without peer. It's, it's a really, really interesting, weird title that I really, really love. And it's a game about liminal space between A and B. And I think it's probably one of the best games about that weird space that there ever will be. So yeah, drive a truck, honk your horn, off you go. I mean, <laughs> two games about honking in one episode. Well, there we go. You know. Euro Goose Simulator and Untitled Truck Game. <laughs> I always thought of those simulator games as essentially just interactive training things for people in the industry yeah i mean they i think i think some of them are are deep enough to be that yeah and i I don't know why this one kind of grabbed me as much as it did but Mm. i've seen other people kind of talk about it maybe not quite as waffly as i just did but in in terms of it kind of appealing to them in a way that generally a simulation game wouldn't have like i can't really imagine that anyone is playing like farming simulator which is massive now and has like annual releases i don't think that exists for people to kind of have like a spiritual experience around that's very much just like i'm i'm running a farm i'm making as much money out of this hay as i can or, or whatever <laughs> but there's, there's something about the idea of, of driving and and the distances you cover in this game which gives you time to think about other stuff and i found it really kind of relaxing and quite addictive for the for the couple months i was playing it quite a lot back in the day just to do these trips and and almost pick like the longest one i could each time because it meant more of that that empty space more of that kind of just moment to moment detail that you kind of see and then you miss and then I don't know it's it's a very strange game but it's one I would definitely recommend fine You've certainly piqued my interest. I've got it loaded up on Steam now, so uh, knowing what I'm like, I'll have bought it by the end of the episode. <laughs> I've seen a couple of playthroughs of it, and it does, yeah, it does seem like an almost meditative yeah. experience. The idea of a liminal space in a video game is just, oh, it's lovely. Mm. If I had any kind of machine that could run Steam decently, I would probably go for it. One day we can all drive trucks together. That'd be lovely. In the meantime, let's move on to my game. Now, quite ridiculously, my intro is almost word for word the same as yours, Chris, (laughs) but with a much more obvious (laughs) departure point at the end of it. I don't know what point it was in my life when I stopped looking at games and going, oh, wow, 120 hours for the main story alone, (laughs) 4 billion hours to 100% it, I can't wait, to going 10 hours for the main story, haven't got time for that. So it has meant my consumption of the broader RPGs has dwindled significantly as I've moved from being a student to an adult. But when technology allowed for these larger RPGs to be playable on a handheld console, it did give me a new way to stay in the game, so to speak. Spoke a few weeks ago about Xenoblade Chronicles on 3DS, and it was great to be able to pick up and play that in little bits when I didn't have much time. And if I did have a chunk of time to give it, then I could quite happily settle in for a proper sesh. And it meant that whilst I was really excited to pick up Xenoblade Chronicles X, which you spoke about earlier, Chris, I was totally intimidated by how big the game was and how aware I was, like you, Chris, of how little time I'd have to to give it. And which is why I never got around to playing it, because, you know, I was quite hesitant to open that can of time consuming worms, time worms. And then, of course, the Switch came along and has been a godsend for, well, so many things in games. And I was thrilled to legitimately find time for some truly epic adventures. And the one I'm talking about today is, of course, 
Euro Truck Simulator. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, it's Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> now, even though I was able to play huge console-worthy RPGs on the go with the Switch... When I got to the 100% point in Breath of the Wild, I did think I was going to need a bit of a break from the all-encompassing questing that it offered. And so when Xenoblade Chronicles 2 initially came out, I decided to just just to let it go for now, wait for a, you know, a clearer slot in my schedule to fit it into. However, once I'd got and completed the first DLC for Breath of the Wild, the Trial of the Sword, I felt a hankering for another big adventure stirred in my loins <laughs> so i veritably girded them and downloaded xenoblade 2 then and there one of my other hesitations about diving back into the world of xenoblade was the fact that i knew it wasn't going to be the same characters and it wasn't going to be the same world as the first game which was i mean entirely understandable given the events that passed in that first game but i you know i wasn't sure that this new rex character this young upstart on the scene could live up to my love of shulk from the original the world in Zenbay Chronicles is what initially drew me to the original game. You have these civilizations built on the bodies of ancient titans who have become frozen in time in the Cloud Sea, which is such a wonderful concept and brimming with amazing gameplay and design potential. And I was very, very glad that they hadn't entirely abandoned this idea for... Xenoblade Chronicles 2, much the opposite. They'd expanded it, and this world of Ulrest, as it was called, was comprised of not just two titans from the first game, but several titans all drifting about in the Cloud Sea. Huge. And obviously, I was also wrong about the characters in the game as well, who were absolutely every bit as wonderful. In fact, probably more so than the original. And one of the nicest things about this is that the, the team at Monolith specifically overhauled the art style to allow for more expressive character animations. And that's something that, I mean, it just works so nicely to its benefit. The voice acting, every bit as baffling and over the top as it was in the original, with the most <laughs> incredibly dense variety of British accents in such a small area than has ever been seen before. It's almost like the <laughs> developers went, oh, well, oh, the next village over needs to be different, so uh, let's make them all Geordies. <laughs> next town, I don't know, spin the wheel. Welsh? Why not? <laughs> but all of the voice acting was so earnest and so committed that I just loved it anyway. Your main character, Rex, is a fairly typical protagonist. Naive, but hardy. Earnest and worthy, but wily and cunning. And your main party is bolstered by the usual mishmash of different characters representing the different regions in the world. Specifically, you had Nia, the Welsh cat-eared Gormotti character, and Tora, the diminutive Nopon inventor. No. I know, Nopons. Oh, Ooh. fucking hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm round! Hate them. Because their stilted language is also spoken with the most wonderful enunciation that mm. it feels totally implausible. Yes. They spoke like Yoda, but in RP. <laughs> I resent the fact that this podcast has made me think about the Nopon outside of playing a Xenoblade game for more than an iota of a second. Your party also grows and shrinks and changes as you meet new people, find out more about which people are on the side of good and which are the true villains of the piece. And, you know, you align accordingly with certain people. And the other chief characters in the game are linked intrinsically to the combat system in the game. 
this was another thing that initially stopped me from diving straight into the game because I remembered how complex the combat system was from the first game and I spoke about that a few weeks ago when mm. I spoke about Xenoblade Chronicles 3D and before the game came out Nintendo started releasing little explanation videos to showcase the new battle system and all the new features and every single video just my mind was just breaking i mean i can't imagine that many people went oh yes well adding in that many more layers of complexity is clearly a great idea (laughs) (laughs) so the way it works is that each of your main characters is what is called a driver and they can summon various entities called blades via resonating with core crystals I assume you're with me so far. (laughs) The blades then form a kind of duo with your character and they equip your character with a weapon depending on their type and your character then fights with that and it gives them access to their relevant blade arts, which are essentially your special moves, all of which have elemental alignment. Now, these blade characters are also fully formed characters in and of themselves. They're not just an icon and a menu option to change your weapon and your powers. And your main blade that you have, essentially it's got two personalities in one. It's split between these characters of Pyra and Mithra. Most of the central storyline revolves around them. But there are also individual side quests for all of the other blades as well. Some of which, you know, will easily have a few hours of play. And there's like 60 of them. I mean, it's ridiculous. The level of variety of design in these as well is also mind-blowing. It's not just copy and paste. I mean, it essentially doubles the complexity of the combat system from the first game. But to be fair, once you do get your head around it, it is absolutely thrilling. And when you perfectly match the elements with a member of your other party, you switch your blades and combine all of these elements together to form like the most enormous combo to bring down just an enormous beast that taking up half of the world. I mean, it felt incredible and it was entirely worth the thousand hours of training that you had to go to. (laughs) As we mentioned before, the downside of this is that as soon as you put the game down for a few days, your combat skills have already gotten a little rusty, so you kind of need to keep your momentum whilst you're in the zone. The game is absolutely huge and has one of the most vibrant and deeply envisaged worlds that I've ever seen. And like a Fabergé chocolate fountain, it is drenched in the very richest and most decadent of lore. (laughs) (laughs) The amount of history and culture that's in the different areas of the world, I mean, it's just absolutely staggering. Each town and each nation on each titan, each race of people, they're all following different mythologies and ideals based on their cultural development and the ecosystem as well. Like the original, the world was full of the most incredible flora and fauna and it all behaved in the most natural way. You know, you could come out of your village and see a herd of burial rhinon striding across the plain, the young following their mothers, the mothers being fiercely protective of their offspring. And you would see them frolic and play and drink from the streams and even be hunted by other animals higher on the designated food chain in the game. Take a moment and highlight that this is exactly the sort of world design that I was hoping to be developed for Pokemon Sword and Shield. And from the looks of it, it's I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> so Pokemon catch up, I would say. Mm. Pokemon catch up, Pokemon mustard. i'm not even going to talk about my game i'm going home (laughs) but i 
I mean, I can't overstate just what a wonderful, wonderful world it is to lose yourself in. I mean, it made me very, very happy. My 61st favourite video game is Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Mm. It's a big game. Inti, what's your 61st favourite video game? I, I'd love to tell you. As, as I was writing my script for today, I, I, I don't know what it was. I, I guess I was... I just had this feeling that I needed to be a little bit more uh, intense, in my opinion, because I thought, oh, I'm probably going to be at odds with uh, with Jonathan and Chris. Oh. I've already told you that my loins are girded. <laughs> yes, yes. In the interest of, uh, of balance, so that we don't alienate a significant portion of our throbbing fan base. The idea of open world gameplay is the invention of an industry of cowards who think the illusion of narrative freedom is a good substitute for putting in the smallest effort to at least try and write a compelling story. <laughs> oh, bold. Mm, I don't believe that. I just wrote it. <laughs> it's a fair point with yeah. a lot of games. I stand by it in that case. This week, I want to offer up Another massive game that I completed 100%. Oh. Have a guess at what console this game is on. SNES. No. Wii. No. Wii U. No. Switch. Well, hold on. Let Chris have a go. Let your brother play. <laughs> <laughs> the NES. Nope. Xbox. No. GameCube. No. N64. No. PlayStation 2. Yes. Hey. My sister got a PS2 for her birthday, uh, mostly for the eye toy. Oh, God, yeah. yeah, yeah. Bloody hell. That, thing. that shit sucked, <laughs> so I'm not going to talk about it. But she did get another game for it, which I am ashamed to say I picked out because I wanted to play it. I wanted to play this game because I saw people talking about it on the forums of acclaimed early 2000s website Neopets. That's the origin story. You play a little lad who unlocks his potential and saves the universe with his friends. That universe has many lands which, if you were once a child and are still alive, you would most likely remember quite fondly. <laughs> this is because they're from movies. Oh, oh I know. Oh. I know. The movies are Disney and the game is Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Oh, lovely. For a game that's centred around entire worlds being literally destroyed by an army of monsters made of tangible darkness, it was really quite light-hearted and had a really hopeful and optimistic vibe to it. Uh, hard to explain, it's it's like you're just nobbing around through a universe full of Disney worlds helping familiar and beloved characters it just ends up being really wholesome and the cosmic threat kind of took a back seat to just interacting with so many nostalgic set pieces and people. I really like the combat as well, it took the sting off Square Enix's random encounters by just having them just sort of pop out of thin air in the middle of the overworld. If you didn't want to fight yet another horde of heartless beasts, that's fine. Just walk down this alleyway and go visit Pongo and Padisha, who are so sad because their puppies have been kidnapped and stuffed into treasure chests. Hang out with Final Fantasy characters, who kind of have no business being there, really, <laughs> because uh, the combat and the world hopping is more akin to Chrono Trigger, but whatever. Kingdom Hearts. Light-hearted, an expansive game about friendship, where it almost feels like you saving the universe is an afterthought. I have never played a Kingdom Hearts game, and it is a series that I have been increasingly intimidated to jump into <laughs> because of, I think I've mentioned it before, the most 
I mean, literally the most convoluted numbering order system of the yeah. series, of any series that has ever existed. And I don't know where the best place to jump in is, really, to be honest. So You have the benefit, because you've got a PlayStation 4, if you wanted to go for it, you can now get a package of games, which is basically all the core titles up until the third one. But that is a serious investment. Like, talking about kind of being intimidated by games, if you buy that Story So Far bundle, that's like... 800 hours of game i mean yeah you need to mm. yeah you need to basically not play anything else for the rest of your life to get through that so i don't know how good an idea that is um but i played the first game i enjoyed that back in playstation 2 and then uh, i just for some reason fell off the wagon as it were and never got back to it in 800 hours i'll be married <laughs> wow well if you want to speed that time along just uh whack on kingdom hearts i don't know if going into a wedding with 30 days of sleep deprivation is a good idea <laughs> 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 Well, there we have it. Another three games. Three open world games featuring lions, titans, and trucks. <laughs> Firstly, we had... Euro Truck Simulator 2. Euro Truck Simulator 2. <laughs> then we had Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And finally... The most esteemed kingdom of hearts. Aortic Citadel. Ventricular Principality. <laughs> <laughs> If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do like and subscribe, leave us a review, share it on social media. Please tell more people to listen, and more people will listen. If you want to reach out to us, you can do that. You can find us on Facebook if you search for Our Three Cents. You can chat about games with us. You can ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode. Or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at truck underscore truck. You'll be disappointed, but I'm Clement underscore boo. And please join us next week for our 60th favourite video games. Oh boy. To Minty! Oh. Hooray! Well done, well done. I got it right and I learned something. Right, we'll figure that one out.